from the Great Yarmouthan District Talking Newspaper Association, hello and welcome to Grapevine. This is Volume 41, Number 19, for week ending Friday the 14th of May 2021. This week's news includes our local Covid update, Everyone seems to want to move to Caister. Princess Anne makes a flying visit, and it started as Bonnings, was Marks and Sparks for many years, but now it's Sports Direct, or it soon will be. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me this week is Andrew, your newsreader, who starts us off with the first part of the news. Hello everybody, this is Andrew back with you on Grapevine again. We've got plenty of news and views from around the area, so without further ado, let's get on with it. A very small number of coronavirus cases in Norfolk have been caused by the Indian variant of COVID-19, public health bosses have revealed. Scientists are keeping a close eye on the spread of the variant across the UK, and Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said the government is, quote, anxious about it. B16172, first identified in India, was last week designated as a variant of concern by experts from Public Health England after small clusters of cases were detected across the country. And Dr Louise Smith, Norfolk's Director of Public Health, confirmed there had been cases in the county. She said, We're seeing cases of the variant first identified in India being recorded across the country and... Like in other parts of the country, there has been a very small number in Norfolk. We continue to work closely with Public Health England, which is monitoring the situation carefully. The ways to prevent spread of this variant remain the same. Getting a vaccination when it's offered, getting tested regularly, following current lockdown restrictions, including the quarantine rules for travellers, keeping our distance from others and wearing face coverings as appropriate. And from next week, when more indoor meeting is due to be allowed allowing in lots of fresh air when meeting up indoors. The Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, which is otherwise known as SAGE, held a meeting on Thursday to discuss the spread of the Indian variant, and the Prime Minister has said he has ruled nothing out over ways of stemming the spread, as the country gets ready for more easing of coronavirus restrictions from Monday. He said, it is a variant of concern, we are anxious about it. At the moment, there is a very wide range of scientific opinion about what could happen. We want to make sure we take all the prudent, cautious steps now that we could take. So there are meetings going on to consider exactly what we need to do. There is a range of things we could do. We're ruling nothing out. On Wednesday, the European Medicines Agency said it was pretty confident vaccines currently in use would be effective against the Indian variant, a view echoed by some British scientists. Bolton has one of the highest rates of the Indian variant in the UK, though to be mostly concentrated in the under-25s, with surge testing being used. In Blackburn, extra vaccine doses have been secured so all people aged over 18 can be offered the jab from next week amid rising cases there. Asked if local lockdowns were possible, Mr Johnson said, There are a range of things we could do. We want to make sure we grip it. Obviously there's surge testing, there's surge tracing. If we have to do other things, then of course the public would want us to rule nothing out. At the moment, 
I can see nothing that dissuades me from thinking we will be able to go ahead on Monday and indeed on June the 21st everywhere. But there may be things we have to do locally and we will not hesitate to do them if that is the advice we get. Professor Robert Dingwall, a member of NerveTag, which is the new and emerging respiratory virus threats advisory group, an expert committee which advises the government on the threat posed by new respiratory viruses, said that while B16172 may be capable of becoming the dominant variant in the UK, the risk of a surge in deaths or hospital admissions remains low. Meanwhile, back in Norfolk, a leading viral disease expert at the University of East Anglia has raised doubts over coronavirus restrictions fully easing this June. Professor Paul Hunter from the University of East Anglia's Norwich Medical School said, The Indian variant of the virus has caused big concerns over whether June the 21st is still achievable as the final step of the government's roadmap. B16172 was last week designated as a variant of concern by experts from Public Health England after small clusters of the cases were detected across the country. And after the very small numbers were detected in Norfolk, Professor Hunter expects the situation to become worse over the coming weeks. He said the Indian variant has caused big concern over whether step four of the roadmap will be achievable. Modellers within SAGE do not think we will be able to make the final step out of lockdown in June at the moment, and I would not argue against that. Professor Hunter said he has been expressing concern about the variant for a month now, having written an article for The Spectator two weeks ago on the subject. But he said the variant's impact on the UK has been a little quicker than he anticipated, with the Prime Minister admitting on Thursday the government is anxious about it. Professor Hunter continued, The Indian variant is not looking good at the moment, with cases doubling every week to 10 days across the UK, despite the fact that we have still got a high level of restrictions in place. It's almost certainly more infectious than the Kent variant and the case numbers have started rising in the UK. It is on an upward trend even before additional relaxations. The vaccination programme continues to be a source of hope with evidence that the variant will not be as severe for those who have received jabs. Most people over 40 have been offered the vaccine and one dose, so I'm really hopeful it does not lead to rapidly increasing the pressure on the health service again but it is a bit early to breathe a sigh of relief, Professor Hunter added. Well, that's uh, not the news we wanted to hear, but let's look on the positive side. And almost a million coronavirus jabs have been given out over Norfolk and Waveney, new figures have revealed. Fresh data published by NHS England on Thursday shows that 948,430 injections have been administered since the vaccination programme began here in December. During the latest seven-day period up to May the 9th, another 53,705 people across the area received jabs. It represents a slight improvement on last week when 49,056 patients went for vaccines. Norfolk and Waveney Health and Care Partnership continues to have the second best vaccination rate in the country when it comes to follow-up doses at 40.4%. That is better only by Somerset where the rate is 42.2% with the overall figure for England being 33%. Another 44,599 people became fully vaccinated in the past week, bringing the total number to 344,223. 
In terms of initial doses, Norfolk and Waveney is 8th out of 43 health systems across England, with 70.9% of over 16s having attended an appointment. Somerset again tops the pile on 73.2% compared to 65% across England. An additional 9,876 went for jabs for the first time in our area, taking the total tally for the first time doses to 604,207. Melanie Craig, Chief Executive of Norfolk and Waveney CCG said, We continue to urge local people to be patient as fewer vaccines are currently available, something the health service had expected and planned for. Vaccine supply is expected to increase over the coming days and weeks, meaning more options will become available on the national booking system. If you cannot find an appointment at a vaccination site close to where you live, please do not contact your GP as they need to keep telephones clear for other health issues and urgent care. On Thursday, the programme moved to people in their 30s for the first time as those aged 38 and 39 began receiving text messages encouraging them to book slots. It comes less than a fortnight after patients in their 40s began being offered the vaccine and already almost three quarters of 40 to 49 year olds have been given appointments. A mobile vaccination bus continues to visit specially chosen sites and has in recent weeks inoculated workers at Pilgrim's Food Group in Kings Lynn and Kerry Foods in Norwich. So there is a positivity amongst all this. The vaccines are rolling out and the vaccine centres are so well organised and so efficient. I'm sure many of you have experienced them. So let's keep positive. Now, as things get underway again on May the 17th, we have plenty of museums in Norfolk reopening. From Star Wars toys to the first major exhibition of the work of the Norwich artist John Crome in more than 50 years, Norfolk's museums are getting ready to welcome back visitors. Five of the county's museums are getting ready to welcome back visitors from the 17th of May, and two more will follow soon after. The country is on course for the next step of coronavirus restrictions easing next week, so that means that Norfolk Museum Services will reopen Norwich Castle Museum and Art Gallery, the Time and Tide in the Elizabethan House Museum in Great Yarmouth, the Gresson Hall Farm and Workhouse and the Cromer Museum from Monday. The Lynn Museum in Kings Lynn will open on Tuesday May the 18th and the Museum of Norwich in Bridewell Alley on Saturday the 22nd. It will be the first chance since December for people to go inside the county's museums, giving them a chance to see the collections and exhibitions such as. There's an exhibition called May the Toys Be With You, which runs at the tide and time until June the 27th. This exhibition is a nostalgia fest for fans of Star Wars. It features 300 Star Wars toys, original cinemas, posters and memorabilia celebrating the classic toys and collectibles of that long-running series of films. At Norwich Castle, the first major exhibition of the work of Norwich artist John Crome will feature in more than 50 years. This will show about 90 works and the exhibition includes loans from public and private collections alongside those from Norwich Castle's own collection of works from one of the 19th century's most important painters and this runs until the 5th of September. There's the Thomas Baines Art, Exploration and Empire exhibition at the Lynn Museum which runs until the autumn and this looks at the life and art of the Kingsland-born Victorian explorer. Thomas Baines travelled to Africa and Australia recording the plants, animals and indigenous communities he encountered during his travels. 
There's the Bellotto masterpiece, which was saved for the nation in 2017. Bernardo Bellotto's The Fortress of Königstein from the north has been loaned to Norwich Castle by the National Gallery in London, so that's quite a masterpiece to go and see. This 18th century painting is more than two metres long and is on display in the Coleman Project space until July the 4th. The Gresson Hall Farm and Workhouse near Deerham, which is always well worth a visit, this also has a new outdoor adventure playground and play sessions are 40 minutes long and must be booked at the museum. Somewhere Unexpected is the title of the Norwich Castle Open Art Show. Artists were invited to submit work that acknowledged the significance of their immediate environments amidst the coronavirus pandemic. From an open call, 38 artists working in East Anglia were selected by Amanda Geithner, Rosie Gray, Henry Jackson Newcomb and Danny Keane. And the exhibition includes painting, prints, photography, sculpture and film. Steve Miller, Director of Culture and Heritage at the Norfolk County Council, said We're delighted that we're able to open our doors to our local communities so they can once again enjoy our fantastic collections and special exhibitions. Norfolk's museums are a vital part of our heritage and visitor economy and so it is welcome news that seven of our sites are reopening to the general public. With several fantastic new exhibitions to enjoy and a new adventure playground at Gresson Hall Farm, there's plenty to inspire our visitors. Our museums have tried and tested measures in place to allow customers to use the museums safely and visit with confidence. Naturally, measures will be in place to protect visitors and staff. People will have to wear masks, unless exempt, sanitise their hands and maintain social distancing. One-way routes will be in place and not everything will be open. For instance, the cafe and shop at Norwich Castle will be closed. Entrance to all the museums is by ticket only, which will need to be booked online via the website, which is norfolk-museumsarttickets, all one word, .org.uk. And please note that tickets will not be available on the door at any of the museums. The three remaining Norfolk Museum Services sites, Strangers Hall, Ancient House Museum of Thetford Life and the Toll House in Great Yarmouth, will be open to schools and pre-booked groups only. The County Council says those sites are not suitable to reopen to the general public while social distancing restrictions are still in place, but can be managed safely to allow visits by schools and pre-booked groups. Now, a mystery in Bradwell. Is it a well, an ice house, a gunnery from the Second World War? Well, when Reverend Steve Deal, vicar at St Nicholas Church in Bradwell, was cutting back the overgrowth around the 700-year-old building's yard last month, he inadvertently uncovered what appeared to be the ruins of a horseshoe-shaped wall. But what the structure was for, well, he doesn't know. The vicar, who with his wife Sarah moved to Norfolk last July, said... Over the last nine months, we've been cleaning up the churchyard, and it was when I was cleaning some stuff away, I found the start of a curving wall. We've had different suggestions from people as to what it could be, but I think without somebody coming from an archaeological trust, we're not going to find out. But it's been a brilliant talking point, he added. The Reverend, who was a policeman for 25 years in Staffordshire, has enjoyed using his detective skills again on the possible origins of the structure. I'm like a dog with a bone once we get an investigation started, he said. Whether or not the case is closed, the plan for the enclosure is to eventually turn it into a fernery. 
This is part of a bigger plan to try to get people to have a bit of pride in the church, said the Reverend Deal. He hopes to introduce more wildlife into the grounds surrounding the church, the tower of which is more than 1,000 years old. We're trying to get people into the churchyard and we'd like them to come and have a look around, he said. Well, anybody, any ideas? You could contact the Reverend. With his police background, this is uh, almost a bit of a Father Brown mystery, isn't it? mystery tour coming to a church in Bradwell soon. The horseshoe-shaped bricks could, of course, just be a flower border created by some medieval Monty Don. Who knows? OK, let's see what mysteries we can conjure up with the news. Police have backed plans to duel part of the A47 in Norfolk, saying it will, quote, dramatically reduce crashes in bottleneck traffic. There have been 33 crashes in which people were killed or hurt on the A47 between Blowfield and North Burlingham over the past decade, Norfolk Police said. Plans to duel that section of the A47 were lodged in February, and the proposals, to cost between £50 and £100 million, are to replace the existing single-lane section with a new two-lane dual carriageway 70 metres south of the existing road. Safety improvements will also be made to the Yarmouth Road Junction, closing the right turn 
and adding a dedicated lane to join the A47. A new bridge will also be added over the carriageway to connect Blowfield and North Burlingham and to take traffic from Blowfield towards Great Yarmouth. The Planning Inspectorate will decide whether to grant a development consent order and an inquiry will be held. Norfolk Police has submitted a report to the Planning Inspectorate backing the proposals. The report detailed how there had been one fatal crash, three serious crashes and 29 crashes where people had been slightly injured over a 10 year period. The report went on to state, the collision data shows a higher than average number of collisions over the 10 year period than would normally be expected. Anything that can be done to improve the infrastructure and the safety of the road is welcomed by the police. The report said 83% of crashes were due to drivers hitting stationary vehicles, colliding with traffic built up behind stationary vehicles waiting to turn into junctions, or were caused by drivers pulling out from junctions and laybys, quote, indiscriminately or without the necessary due care and attention. It said removing the priority junctions in favour of merge lanes will dramatically reduce the amount of times that traffic will be stationary on the main carriageway, in turn causing tailbacks and rear-end collisions. It will also dramatically prevent the errant driver pulling out without the necessary due care and attention. A preliminary meeting about the planning inquiry will be held next month, but a full timetable for the inquiry itself has yet to be set. I'm sure that will be a welcome improvement if and when it comes. Carrying on on a theme of roads, many villages around the area have been in contact with the council over the disgraceful road resurfacing that has covered cycle lanes and blocked drains. Safety concerns over a new road service and the amount of loose chippings left behind by contractors have drawn a flurry of complaints in a Norfolk village. People in Hopton say they have been struck by stones and had their cars damaged following the work carried out for Norfolk County Council. And due to the amount of chippings blocking drains and piling up in drifts, people have had reportedly to lift manhole covers themselves to let water drain away. Borough and newly elected County Councillor Carl Anderson described the work as the worst he'd ever seen and a disgrace. I was inundated with calls about the road, he said. I went down there and had a look and what I saw was a disgrace. I've never seen anything like it. There were absolutely loads of chippings. It seems like they put far too much on the road to begin with. The workmanship was a disgrace. There was no respect for anyone the way they left it like that. It was just unbelievable. The problems related to work in Station Road, Hopton, but similar complaints were made about Links Road in Goulston. Mr Anderson, who has his own paving company, said contractors had also covered over newly painted cycle lanes. He told the residents to complain and reckoned that at least 100 people had made their voices heard. I'm not happy with the standard of work, he added. Being a county councillor for Lothingland, I will be having a good look into this and checking up. I like to praise the council when it gets it right, but on this occasion it was absolutely shocking. A Norfolk County Council spokesperson said, This year our annual surface dressing project will see 305 miles of Norfolk roads get a new seal to extend the life of the road and to prevent potholes opening up and to provide a new skid-resistant surface to help reduce the risk of accidents. Unfortunately, there was an issue with the work carried out recently on Station Road in Hopton and Lynx Road in Galston, so the contractor has returned to site to carry out work to help resolve the issue. 
and we'll continue to closely monitor the sites over the next few weeks. A seaside resort in Norfolk is one of the most sought after in the UK according to a property website. Rightmove has revealed the villages across the county that were trending with house hunters last month and claiming third spot was Caister on Sea. The village with a population of approximately 9,000 is known for its sweep of sandy beaches and its lifeboating history as well as a Roman fort dating back to the second century. Rightmove compares the volumes of people inquiring about the homes for sale with the number of available properties and the general size of villages to work out which places are most in demand. The average price tag on a home in Caister, which is described by Rightmove as a staycation hotspot, is just over £231,000, up from 219000 a year ago. Dan Crawley, director of Aldred's estate Asians in Great Yarmouth, said... Caister is a very big place for a village and also a very convenient place to live. And being by the sea, it gets a huge amount of relocators for retirement. Often people who have holiday there throughout their lives, he added. At the top of the list was Boston Spa in West Yorkshire, with Milford-on-Sea in Hampshire coming second. Well, this could possibly be good for the local economy. Who knows? A stretch of riverside footpath has been saved as a right-of-way and will appear on official maps thanks to a two-and-a-half-year campaign. The path from West Caister to Great Yarmouth along the River Bure was a well-worn route that everyone assumed was official, until a developer applied to build homes and gardens across it. Mike Sedgwick, who lives nearby in River Walk, did some digging and was appalled to discover there was no legal protection for the path, little realising that getting it registered would be a long and frustrating process that involved collecting over 100 statements of use. Although the then landowner soon accepted the path was there, the 54-year-old headhunter decided to make sure it could never be taken away. People have been using this footpath for decades and assumed it was a public footpath, but it was never registered, he said. I'm so grateful for the perseverance and patience of everyone involved. It's been an interesting journey, particularly finding out how long these things take. The good news is that we have something we did not have before that can never be taken away. Mr Sedgwick collected written evidence from over 100 people, creating a case that was indisputable. However, more legal work was needed over the Great Yarmouth Borough Council-owned stretch of the path, causing further delays. It is the missing link, Mr Sedgwick added. But you can now walk from Great Yarmouth to the Stokesby Ferry pub and people have been doing it for years, but now it will be on the map. The real satisfaction is that it cannot now be disputed. There are not many stretches of the river that you can now walk along that are not interrupted by buildings. It cannot now be built across. Conceivably, the builder could have carried on with his plan had it not been disclosed. What put fire in my belly originally was the idea of the landowner could stop us using the path and that feeling of anger and frustration was shared by lots and lots of people. A spokesman for Norfolk County Council said, Mr Sedgwick's application in 2018 was the catalyst for getting the Riverside Path legally recorded. It can now be said that it is formally a public footpath. The definitive map will be updated shortly, and the route will formally be known as Great Yarmouth Footpath Number 11, she added. I think it should be called Sedgwick Way for all the work he's done. That's definitely power to the people, though. Great to see.
Continuing on a riverside theme, a block of 15 flats could rise up on a riverside warehouse site in Great Yarmouth. The unit, used previously for the cold storage of food products, is in North River Road, where it meets Archers Road, overlooking the River Bure and the Yacht Station. A planning statement prepared on behalf of the applicant says the flats will add to the borough's housing stock and chime with the local authority's ambition for 1,000 homes along the industrial riverside. It says the site is in a key regeneration area and that the flats would promote the renaissance of the waterfront to become, quote, a vibrant urban area, as well as being sympathetic to what is already there. Because of the flood risk, no habitable areas will be on the ground floor. The block will comprise three one-bedroom and twelve two-bedroom flats. Drawings show a single flat roof building with grey windows and white rendering. Maximum occupancy is said to be 54 people. There will be 12 parking spaces and bays for cycles and motorbikes. Now, talking of riverside flats, does anyone know why the big development of flats that overlook the car park at the Galston Morrisons are still unoccupied? I mean, it must be 10 years now. I'd love to know why. Answers on a postcard, please. Right, let's uh, a little something to whet your appetites here. A new dessert cafe will throw open its doors to sitting customers in Great Yarmouth next week. Delightful Desserts on Regent Street, which opened last month for takeaway and delivery service, sells ice cream, waffles, crepes, cookie doughs, donuts, hot drinks and milkshakes. And the cafe is part of a franchise, which has 20 outlets across the UK and two in the Netherlands. A branch also opened in Norwich in 2019. Management at the cafe have said there will be seating for 20 customers from Monday, May the 17th, when lockdown restrictions are further loosened. They added, Great Yarmouth has a variety of different people with both locals and holidaymakers, and the team is delighted to be able to serve and fulfil the sweet cravings of the Great Yarmouth people. The diner has also recently launched a selection of vegan choices, and the opening hours from Monday will be 11am right through till 11pm. Continuing on a food theme, this is news of a development we've talked about in past programmes, which the Hurst family have at Ormsby St Margaret. Now, when COVID-19 struck, the Hurst family were on the brink of shutting their farm shop just to focus on lambing and other events on the farm. But suddenly they were unable to open Hursty's Fun Park in Hemsby, and people were then queuing round the block for meat, veg and flour, driving a spike in demand for their produce which is on sale in North Road at Ormsby St Margaret. Now, in a turn of events they could not have considered before the lockdown, the ribbon has been cut on a spacious new farm shop and cafe with seating for 90 people inside and out, promising an array of tasty meats and a fishmongers to boot. We never thought we would have something on this sort of scale and so soon, said Becca Hurst, who along with her husband Robert have shouldered much of the management. It is exciting and scary, but we are just excited to get people in and hope they enjoy it. Mr Hurst said, without lockdown it would never have happened, and certainly not as soon, adding that the couple were further buoyed by the success of a Christmas market in the farmyard, which proved an appetite for locally sourced food prepared on the premises. Already eight of the ten outside tables were booked, and with inside opening on Monday May the 17th, in line with the next stage of lockdown, hopes are high for a successful season. Mr Hurst said it was much about being a destination and an experience, as well as about the food. 
which it also includes the relocation of Dabs and Crabs, the well-known wet fish shop, which has closed in Scrapby and now joined on a site at Hurst's. With footpaths radiating to the countryside and coast, they were well placed to offer a lunch stop as part of a day out, complementing what was already on offer at Hursties with its maize maze and, to quote Mr Hurst, weatherproofing the business. Cutting the ribbon, his grandfather John Hurst hailed the hard work of everyone involved in transforming the 1955 built cattle shed, which is now a haven for all that is locally sourced and a hub for those looking to cut their carbon footprint and support the range of independent businesses selling their wares inside. And this expansion has also created around seven jobs. The farm shop will be open from nine till five, seven days a week, with food being served from nine till three. And booking is advised via this telephone number 07796 101130 and good luck to them. Moving a little further up the coast now, an online consultation has been launched into how best to protect the Hemsby coastline from further erosion. Instead of milling about in a village hall, chatting in clusters and filling out response forms, the process has had to go virtual in line with government rules on limiting the spread of COVID-19. Residents and businesses are now being asked to visit a virtual village hall as the best way of replicating how we previously perused information boards and discussed the ins and outs with project leaders. The online tool went live last Monday, May the 10th, and features an introduction from James Bensley, whose borough council ward includes the village, which has suffered a string of erosion streaks since 2013. In the virtual village hall, people will be able to view options for a rock berm and weigh up the various cost versus benefit scenarios. The digital experience has been put together by Great Yarmouth Borough Council and the Coastal Partnership East, who have been working with the community to consider ways to respond to the coastal change along this erosion-scarred stretch. Penny Carpenter, Chairman of the Environment Committee, said Hemsby was on the front line of climate change impacts and that the consultation was the next important step towards shaping and submitting a final scheme. She said, we are fully aware of the constant worry and the impact on residents and businesses who are directly affected by coastal erosion. Therefore, I would encourage all residents and businesses within Hemsby to take part in this virtual consultation. The virtual village hall has information about the options, environmental studies and reports which can be viewed and downloaded. Visitors can navigate a 360 degree view reading the display boards via PowerPoint presentations and a short film, and questions can be left for the project team, along with feedback. Hemsby experienced significant erosion during the 2013 tidal surge and again in 2018, and further erosion has taken place this winter, leaving just one house standing where once there were 13. So to visit this virtual village hall and have your say, visit www.coasteast.com .org.uk. What a great idea and hopefully the Hemsby people will get very involved with this and take advantage of their chance to have their say on it. Nine cars have had their wing mirrors or windscreens damaged in a spate of vandalism in Great Yarmouth. The damage is believed to have happened in the early hours of Saturday May the 8th. Five cars were damaged on Pasture Road sometime between midnight and 12.30am. 
Two more vehicles were damaged on Station Road and a further two on South Quay. Most had damage to their wing mirrors and windscreens. Following the incident, police are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed the crime to come forward. They would particularly like to trace a man who was seen in the area at around the time of the incident. He is described as white, in his 20s, approximately 5 feet 6 tall, with short hair, and he was wearing a black hooded top. Anyone with information should contact PC Beth Willows at Goulston Police Station on 101 and quote this following reference number. 36 stroke 30699 stroke 21. from the 50s with an optimistic view on all the rain we have at present. Hopefully it's sunny in Portugal, as most of the country are heading there on Monday. That's if you believe the television news. 
Anyway, stay with us for news you can trust. And here's Andrew with some more of it. New statistics have revealed Norfolk has had its first week of no deaths of people who had tested positive for COVID-19 since last September. Figures from the Office for National Statistics showed the county had no such deaths in the week up to April the 30th. That was the first time that not a single death of a person who had tested positive for COVID has been recorded in the county since the seven days leading up to September the 11th last year. At the second wave's peak, in the week up to February the 5th, there were 256 deaths in Norfolk, including 137 in hospital and 106 in care homes. That number has been dropping since the peak. There were three deaths in the seven days up to April the 23rd and two in the seven days leading up to April the 16th. Coronavirus case rates in Norfolk are also below the national average. In the seven days up to Thursday, May the 6th, there were 19.1 cases per 100,000 people, up slightly on the 18.7 in the week up to Thursday, April the 29th. Earlier this week, Norfolk County Council announced the launch of a mobile COVID-19 testing buses as they continue their drive to encourage people to get tested twice a week. Dr Louise Smith, Director of Public Health for Norfolk, said that coronavirus case numbers are coming down but they are plateauing and are not yet down to zero. She said we are asking everyone in Norfolk to have regular tests. Some are returning to the workplace or have children at school. As lockdown eases, people are out to do things they have not done before. All the evidence and science shows that there is a real risk we will see a third wave. The numbers will go back up, but we hope those numbers will be milder because of the vaccination, but it will not be 100%. Tests can be booked or ordered online via the County Council's website and be collected from pharmacies and libraries, and they can also be obtained by calling 119. And now some good news on the local business front. More than £3 million will be spent on new lodges and caravans at six holiday parks around Great Yarmouth and Lowestoft. Park Dean Resorts has announced the investment ahead of this year's summer season, which is expected to be a busy one with more people choosing to holiday closer to home. The company operates parks at Vauxhall, Summerfields, Cherry Tree, Braden Water, California Cliffs and Kessingland Beach. The investment includes five new four-bed lodges at Vauxhall Holiday Park, two lodges with hot tubs at Cherry Tree Park and four new caravans at Braden Water with new caravans introduced at the other resorts. And the parks, which employ 770 staff in season, are currently hiring for a number of seasonal roles across sales, food and beverage and housekeeping. Steve Richards, Chief Executive of Park Dean Resort, said, We know how reliant the local economy is on tourism and we're confident that we can help the region recover by welcoming holidaymakers to enjoy a well-deserved staycation in Norfolk. And a new Sports Direct store, featuring many of the brands owned by its parent group, is on track to open in the summer. According to plans submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council, Sports Direct's transformation of the former Marks and Spencers building in King Street will add Evans Cycles, Game and the designer clothing retailer USC, all owned by Mike Ashley's Fraser Group. Fears had been expressed the group would close its Captain Hall store, but this week a spokesman confirmed the store would be staying open and that the new town centre shop will be opening in July. It has not outlined what is happening to the game store in Market Gates at this moment.
statement said, We can confirm that plans are still very much underway for the new store opening on King Street. This is set to open in July. And we can also confirm that the store at Captain Hall Retail Park will remain open. Town Centre manager Jonathan Newman said it would be a good addition to the town centre. There has been a lot of activity in the building and I'm looking forward to seeing what they have done with it all, he said. It will make a big difference. The next target is Palmer's because that is now looking a bit untidy. He added footfall in the town centre was sitting at around 75% of what it was two years ago, which is in line with the national average. But the loosening of lockdown on Monday May the 17th would likely boost the shopping hub with pubs and cafes opening indoors, allowing people to meet up again and enjoy a cuppa and a cake indoors. It gives people more reasons to come into town, plus the guest houses will all be open, he added. Last month, Sports Direct submitted a bid for new signage at the new store. The papers suggest a bright shop front with window light boxes advertising what's inside. Marks and Spencers closed in January 2015, is that really all that time ago, after 104 years in the town. At the same time, it opened a very successful M&S Simply Food outlet at Captain Hall. And anniversary celebrations at an historic Norfolk boatyard were handed a royal seal of approval thanks to a flying visit from Princess Anne. The Princess Royal enjoyed what was billed as an East Anglia away day, dropping in at three venues spanning horses, sailing and countryside, all a skyhop away from each other by helicopter. As part of the tour, she enjoyed a private visit to Hunter's Yard in Ludham, where she chatted with staff and members of the Friends Committee who make the organisation tick. The Hunter's Yard fleet of 21 historic craft is a rare survival on the British sailing scene, which was saved for the county by a huge global effort 25 years ago. Proud chairman of the trustees, the Reverend Neville Cambata, who has sailed from the yard for 50 years, said it was a lovely visit, which was especially poignant coming in their anniversary year. The Queen's daughter arrived by helicopter at around 1.30pm on Tuesday, May the 11th, and spent some 45 minutes at the yard where she was shown a new electric engine and a traditional boat launch via a greased wooden slide. Manager Vicky Walker said it was an informal visit and while it was, quote, a bit difficult conducting royal duties at a distance in line with Covid regulations, the Princess did all she could to make everyone feel at ease, taking a real interest in the mahogany craft and chatting with those around her. She's a lovely lady, very personable, she said. She took a lot of time for everyone. Considering that she had just lost her father, she just soldiered on and made everyone feel at ease. Reverend Cambata said Hunter's Yard was saved thanks to an appeal launched 25 years ago by the EDP and a crucial donation from the Heritage Lottery Fund, who, on his invitation, sent a representative who remembered the grant being handed over. At the end of the visit, the Princess Royal was presented with a book about the history of the yard and she also visited a horse sanctuary in Snetterton and Carlton Marshes in Suffolk. The visit caused a flurry of interest and speculation around Ludham, which saw Princess Anne arrive via a distinctive maroon helicopter, accompanied by a fleet of vehicles on the ground. So remember, keep your gardens tidy and keep the biscuit barrel stocked, because you never know who might drop in. A man convicted of peddling has been banned from entering Galston High Street at night. Alan Scott, 40, of no fixed address, was handed a two-year criminal behaviour order, otherwise known as a CBO, 
following a number of incidents including antisocial behaviour. He appeared at Norwich Magistrates Court on April 30th after pleading guilty to a number of incidents between March and April 2020. The court heard that Scott had been selling items without a licence, causing antisocial behaviour and failing to comply with coronavirus health regulations. The provisions set out in the CBO state that Scott must not enter Galston High Street at any time except between 11am and 12am. Galston Beat Manager PC Richard Bladen said, These orders give us the opportunity to prevent further offences being committed. It also acts as a way for us to provide reassurance to the public that we will deal with the persistent lawbreakers. A driver was taken to hospital after a car crashed into a ditch at Great Yarmouth. Norfolk Police were called to reports of a collision in Thamesfield Way at 12.37am on Thursday, May 13th. A silver BMW had gone over the roundabout and ended up in a ditch, police said. Norfolk Fire and Rescue Service sent one appliance from Yarmouth and two from Goulston to the scene. Crews made the car and the area safe. A driver and passenger were in the car and the driver suffered minor injuries and was taken by ambulance to the James Paget Hospital. Now, fed up neighbours are planning to move due to constant fires at a derelict building. Residents of School Road Back, which is close to Aiklenew Road in Yarmouth, have suffered as the old Abbeville care home has been set ablaze multiple times over the past two years. One resident said, I've been here 15 years and the ongoing fires have become a really bad issue. We're looking to move soon. Christine Nicholson of School Road said, The first fire was really bad as the wind was blowing towards our house. There was so much smoke. Prior to that, we had seen a lot of people going into the property. Homeless people, children about 10 years old or even younger, making a lot of noise. Then the fire started happening. She continued, it has just been a real nightmare. One of the most recent fires at the derelict building took place on Sunday, April 25th. Mrs Nicholson's husband, Kevin, voiced his worries. I'm concerned that if something were to happen again, the fire might spread down the street. In a statement, Great Yarmouth Borough Council said, Following the fire in the autumn, the council undertook emergency fencing works around the fire-damaged building and erected keep-out warning signs. Officers contacted the owner to advise that the owner is responsible for ongoing security of their property and set out works required to secure the site further. Following the most recent fire, the council contacted the owner again for an update and we understand they are making arrangements for demolition and site clearance and the council would like this work to take place as soon as possible. Elizabeth Bigodino, a resident of School Road Back, said It needs to be demolished, otherwise this is going to keep happening. All of the neighbours, all of us, we're getting tired of it. Also included in the council statement was the approval of a planning application to redevelop the site, but these have proved controversial among nearby residents. The draft plans submitted by applicant Mark Wakeley with an address in Essex show 16 three-storey houses with garages on the ground floor. School roadback resident Trevor Davis, who has lived in his house for 15 years, said... It's ridiculous that there are going to be more houses here. We barely get any sunlight as it is. And with new houses, there won't be any at all. The council asked us for our opinion, but they didn't listen. And the houses are still being built. Miss Bigodino commented, 
I wish they would make a garden or a park for the kids. That way the kids won't waste their time burning buildings. But it's private land, so I doubt that would happen. Mr Nicholson added, Just knock it down. It all started not long after the care home closed. Kids used to climb in and throw things that were left in the building. They used to throw things in our garden. Then I believe it was ransacked for anything valuable inside. It's such an eyesore. Our main concern is that the fire engines can't come down our road, Mr Nicholson added. I know they can use hoses, but that all takes time. The biggest truck you can get around here will only be about three and a half tonnes. The dust cart struggles most weeks. I cannot understand why the building hasn't been knocked down. The children are only going in there because it's a novelty. If it's knocked down, then they won't go there. Well, let's hope some action is taken for the, soon for the sake of those residents. Tributes have been paid to a Norwich swimming teacher who will be sorely missed after dedicating her life to various clubs and associations. Diane K. Starling, known to all as K, died on March the 28th. She was born in 1942 and attended Alderman Swindell Infant School, the Priory School for Girls and the Technical High School in Galston. Learning to swim at the age of six, Miss Starling was an avid member of the Great Yarmouth Swimming Club and won many trophies when representing the town in inter-club galas. And she went on to become president of the swimming club in 1978. She was also proactive on the Lee Warden subcommittee and organised annual exchanges between Norfolk and the Dutch swimming club ZV Orca for 20 years. Kay taught Norwich children how to swim for many years and she continued to officiate at Norfolk County and other galas as a timekeeper or judge. When her mobility became poor, she joined the Norwich Disabled Swimming Club where she again helped with her secretarial skills and swam regularly. After the club folded in 2011, Kay continued swimming at Sproston Adult Education Centre. She was also a guide in the 1950s as well as leader of the Snowdrop Patrol. Rose Watson, a fellow girl guide who reunited with Kay after they had both retired, said, We reminisced a lot about the 22nd Great Yarmouth Girl Guides. Kay had already sent pictures of the guides to the Let's Talk magazine in 2004. And before too long, there were pictures and an article in the magazine about our guiding days. There were several responses, including one from our captain, Mrs Nora Mobbs. Kay then organised a reunion lunch at the Burlington Hotel, which Nora attended. Kay had been an enthusiastic guide. We did a lot that would not be permitted today, including exceeding company numbers by 40. That was Kay, though. She did not like to say no to any girl. Kay had enjoyed being a guide and an old girl. She never did anything by halves. Kay organised girl guide reunions for the 22nd Great Yarmouth Company with the last one in 2019. She finished off her education at Great Yarmouth Technical College where she studied commercial skills and she then took an office position at Grout's Textile Factory in Great Yarmouth. She was also keen on sport and played netball in both the schools and Grout's team and she also played hockey in the Great Yarmouth team with her mother May. Kay was also a very active and highly regarded member of the Norfolk County Council Staff Bowls Club. She played in many matches at home and away in both league and club competitions and was treasurer of this club for 16 years and ladies secretary on two occasions. When the ladies section was formed in 1979, Kay took on the role of secretary and in 1997 she also took on the position of club treasurer 
and the current financial position of the club is a testament to her work. A spokesperson of the Bowls Club said, Kay organised the club dinner and presentation night for many years and even when, having to retire from bowling, continued supporting the club in many ways, she would be sorely missed by us all. In the late 1980s, she moved to Catton Court and used her secretarial skills for the Residents' Association. She continued promoting social activities for the association, including meals out and games of Scrabble. Her funeral was to be held on Friday, May the 14th at 4.15pm at the St Faith's Crematorium by invitation only due to COVID-19 restrictions. And the service is to be live streamed for her many friends in England and the Netherlands. Well, that's it from this edition of Grapevine. This recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted mainly from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accepts responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Next week's newsreader will be Margaret, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you once again for much more of your local news. In the meantime, from all at Grapevine, we hope that you stay safe and well and dry until next week. From everybody here, it's bye for now. Bye. Bye.